The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiny East Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. I don't really have much this week. Uh, my wife and I have been moving to a new place, so we're in our new place right now. Uh, yeah, a lot of busy stuff going on in my life, so I'm just going to read some tuners for you. All right, enjoy. Tuners up next. Chapter 23. The thick metal door had trapped me to hook and DeAndre in the mall. Beehook attempted no avail to use his super strength to tear open the door. DeAndre placed his hand on his friend's shoulder. Save it for later. For now, it's better if we disappear. DeAndre nodded towards their invisible backpacks. Meehook said, Oh yeah, bro, I totally forgot about those. They turned around and scanned the concourse. Some people were already lining up in an orderly fashion. Others were being dragged by security from the stores. The mall cops wore body armor and were mean-looking bunch. They used clubs to encourage people to wait in line. Others were beaten into submission. Others were stunned and dragged towards the center of the concourse. DeAndre saw a bathroom sign nearby. He nodded at Meathook and they took off running. He jogged at a slower pace so Meathook wouldn't be left behind. Then he dodged the security guards and ducked in between the kiosks. Once they reached the alcove with the bathroom, they saw a security guard blocking it. One of the security doors blocking off the mall was opened and a stream of the paramilitary police soldiers stormed inside. They marched towards the first group. The mall security had gathered and began searching them. They dumped purses and shopping bags and didn't bother to clean up afterward. They stripped people down, tearing their clothes in the process. They battered people who were too slow or showed any signs of resistance. Once the people were cleared, they were allowed to leave. 
They shook in fear and left their items behind while they ran to the exit. DeAndre turned towards the guard watching the hallway and tiptoed towards him. Before DeAndre could make it halfway, Meathook sauntered over to the guy. The man brought up his stun gun and said, Get back in line or you'll be arrested. Meathook smiled and punched the guy in the face. Despite the fact that the guard had a reinforced helmet, the blow sent shockwaves through the armor. For a brief moment, it looked as if Meathook's fist had caved in the man's face. If the man hadn't been wearing armor, his nose would have been embedded into his brain. As it stood, the man was out cold. That's one way of doing it, DeAndre said. I prefer the uh, direct approach, Meathook grinned. A couple of security guards saw the incident and yelled, Halt! They took off down the hall and turned a corner. DeAndre was about to dive into the men's room when Meathook said, The ladies' room. What? Pick the wrong time to come out of the... No, man, Meathook said. It's just that they'll look at the men's room for us. For once, Meathook made sense. DeAndre pushed open the door and ran into the ladies' room. Meathook came in behind him. There were women huddled in fear in the middle of the room. They took one look at the guys and ran screaming. DeAndre glared at Meathook. Go in the ladies' room. I see how it is. There was no time for further banter. They scrambled to put their invisibility suits on, but it was too late. Moments after they pulled the clothes from their backpack, the security guards kicked open the doorway. DeAndre was pulling up his pants when a guard fired a stun gun. Meathook was pulling the shirt over his head and couldn't see the blast coming. Their muscles locked up and they collapsed to the floor. The security guards stood over the captured tuners. One of them clicked on a radio and said, This is CW802. We have the tuners. Chapter 24 Patel led John by the hand. It was the only way they could stick together without words. Using Universe 1 tech, Hector would be able to keep track of them from Tuner's HQ and coordinate their effort. The equipment from home base could monitor everything and provide maps, vital information. However, the signal that had jammed Hector's voice also jammed the ability to send information to their TF3s. They were cut off. They dodged through the crowds of people being searched outside the ball. They circled the complex until they came across a door that wasn't sealed. They figured they would sneak back inside the mall and find their friends. However, there was a row of guards standing shoulder to shoulder at the door entrance. They would only let people exit in a narrow tunnel of guards large enough for one person to fit through. Patel guided John to a clump of bushes. They dove inside. Patel removed her mask and John did the same. They were floating heads. Patel spoke first. It's almost as if they know we are coming. Which means they already got to DeAndre and Meat Hook and know about the invisibility suits. John added. At least we can deduce that they do not know how to foil the technology of the suits by the strategic placement of their forces. Maybe we could see if Hector has schematics of the building. If we could find our way in via the air duct, perhaps we can get in the radius of the jamming field. We can't leave them behind, John said. I'm not suggesting that, only that we regroup and establish contact so they can be carted away to some secure government base somewhere in this world. Then we'll have to tune to another universe just to get the tech to spring them out. No way. We get the tech we need and get out of here. All of us. 
We can fight off the guards at the door, but what about the others? There is an army of them. You haven't really had that much experience in hand-to-hand combat yet. John felt a little taken aback. He had been training pretty hard, and they were still treating him like he was some sort of noob. I mean, she was right in some way. Even if he was a martial arts master, there was too many of them. I'm not suggesting we fight them. But what about these bags? He indicated the invisible backpacks. I'm not sure I follow. Uh, What if there's something we don't know about these suits yet? Like, what if there's something in the bag that can help us? What do you mean? We've already looked inside the bags. Yeah, but did you feel? The only reason we know it's invisible fabric is because the makers lined it with a gray material on the inside. Flip it inside out and you got a great jumpsuit. However, what if there's something else in the backpack that was made of completely invisible material? What if there's something else we can't see? They both open their backpacks. They reach inside and felt around. At first, John was hopeful. He thought the invisibility suit was made for espionage, and so it wasn't much of a stretch to figure that there might be some tools inside, like invisible rope or something. However, there was nothing. Both Patel and John came back with nothing, and John brushed his hand against something hard. He reached his hand back inside and felt around for another object. Once he found it, he rubbed it with his finger. It was thin and long and felt like a snakeskin. He followed it and found a tiny handle. It was a zipper. The invisible backpack had a zipper on the inside. He unzipped it and felt around. The object was cool to the touch and oddly shaped. He brushed his fingers against it a couple times and figured out what it was. It reminded him of a Halloween party at a school. The boy stuck girls' hands into a bowl of pasta and said it was brain, or peeled grapes and said they were eyes. His imagination went wild with the possibilities. Once he finally felt the object enough to figure out its intended design, John discovered that it wasn't spy gear at all, but a pair of glasses. John put them on, and Patel's form appeared into view. The invisibility suit looked like a gray jumpsuit with the glasses. He took them off, and her body disappeared. Well, that's convenient, John said. What? Patel said and dug around for the glasses of her own. Once she found them, she put them on. The glasses resembled a horn-rimmed hipster type of glasses. These glasses penetrate the invisibility shield. Now, if they only came with an owner's manual, John said and trailed off, a menu appeared in his field of vision with a help screen. John thought about a list of features, and the glasses displayed the invisible suits menu, and there was a lot more than invisibility. John thought about selecting a feature he wanted, and more information came off the screen. <laughs> now that's cool. What? Patel said. The suit? It's thought-controlled or something, John said, and flipped the mask back over his head so he'd be completely invisible. He thought for a moment and said, Can you see me? No, Patel said. John thought again and said, How about now? Patel said, Fascinating. You control the transparency settings. You can make yourself invisible to everyone, but let members of your team see where you are. I can even make myself invisible to my team if I wanted to. John flickered in and out of existence as he thought about the various settings. John pulled up a list of features and found another one. He stuck his hand behind the wall and could feel it stick. 
He stuck another hand and pulled himself a little higher. He unstuck his hand and climbed higher. I can't complain about the Spider-Man feature here. Spider-who? Uh, I remember Ludi reading a graphic novel called Arachnid Boy once, Patel asked. Uh, never mind, John shrugged. Patel flipped her mask on and scaled the wall after him. This is amazing. It manipulates the strong nuclear force of atoms. With the wall in contact with the gloves, it makes... Spare me the details, John said. Let's do this before they decide to seal it off. John and Patel crawled horizontally across the wall towards the cluster of police standing shoulder to shoulder in front of the exit of the mall. They went high enough to go over the heads and climb through the upper part of the door. Once inside, they surveyed the scene. There were bands of mall security guards working with a pair of military police to round up people hiding in stores. The lucky ones were searched and sent out of the mall. The unlucky ones were gathered and forced to kneel at gunpoint. John couldn't see anyone near the entrance, so he detached himself from the wall. Patel followed suit. It was much easier now that the glasses gave them the ability to see each other. They traversed the concourse, looking for their comrades. It was slow going before they had to dodge and weave through the people. They followed two soldiers, and the paramilitary men were having a conversation. Do you think we're going to find anybody? One of the soldiers said. They did find a forbidden artifact, the other one said. The lieutenant has a search in the whole place over a quarter. If you ask me, the poor sap just found it as change and didn't know about it. These things show up all the time. Yeah, but what if it's another invasion? When is it ever an invasion? You hear about these news stories about universes planning an attack, our agents saving the day, but do you ever see any attacks? Be quiet. You don't want to sound like an insurrectionist. John and Patel split from the soldiers and continued their search. They had almost walked the entire mall when they found Meathook and DeAndre. The people who weren't allowed to leave were clustered throughout the main walkway in small groups. DeAndre and Meathook were being held in a clothing store where all the racks were pushed to the side. The two were alone sitting in the center of the room. There wasn't even a guard at the entrance. Patel and John walked up to the door of the clothing store. It looked like any other trendy place with pictures of models hanging out by the beach, skateboarding and staring into the distance. As much as the stores try to make people look like regular people, they are either way too attractive to be regular people, or they were in these unnatural poses that regular people really never found themselves in. The door was motion activated. Since they were invisible, they didn't set off the sensors. They glanced around the mall. Once they were sure that none of the security or police were watching, John took off his glove. The motion sensor activated and the door opened. John put the glove back on and jumped into the store before the door closed again. As they approached, John could hear conversation. I'm just saying that in my world, plastic surgery kiosks are as common as spray tanning, DeAndre said. Dude, I never understood spray tanning. Why would anyone want to look like they were burnt by the sun, bruh? Just because you never get out of your room, DeAndre said, doesn't mean that others don't. I'll have you know that pale skin is quite metal, and in my universe, the sun is like one-third the power, you know? So it's really dark, everyone's pale. Oh, excuse me. DeAndre said. They were cut short when both John and Patel ran into a force field. Green and red streaks 
lit an invisible grid that surrounded Meat Hook and DeAndre. John and Patel jumped back from the shock of the grid and it faded from view. DeAndre's expression turned sour. Get out of here, now! They know about the invisibility suits! It was too late. Two men appeared out of thin air on either side of Patel and John. They were wearing the same invisibility suits, except they had the glasses on as well. The assailants blasted the area with a wide-angle stun pulse, and one of their weapons was wrapped up in another one of the invisibility cloaks. It caught both John and Patel, and their muscles locked up as they collapsed to the ground. The assailants felt the floor until they found John and Patel. Their captors tore off their mask, and one of them picked up a radio a gear bag that was strewn off to the side. Yes, sir, we got them. There was two more of the tuners. Chapter 25 The commanding officer paced between the tuners. They all knelt in the center of the clothing store with their hands cuffed behind their back. The lieutenant had a strong overcoat and a gun. He was a stern man with a brown complexion and brown hair. The invisibility cloaks were piled in front of the tuners. He inspected the suits. He flipped the material from the gray inner layer to the invisible outer layer. Fascinating, the lieutenant said as he rolled the material back and forth. He placed the cold barrel gun against John's forehead. Tell me, why would Hector send four agents with a legal universe tech back here? <laughs> was Hector as much of a pain in the ass for you as he was for us? John, Patel said. The officer laughed and said, <laughs> This one's got spunk, I'll give you that. Hector has been in pain in my ass my entire life. John looked at the man. His captor resembled Hector. In fact, if Hector decided to start wearing Nazi overcoats and sporting an overly slicked side hair, the lieutenant looked like the man that John would expect a younger brother dressed like if he wanted to go to a Halloween party dressed as some young up-and-coming dictator. Uh, Hector dresses better, John said. I always thought I was the good-looking one, but to each his own, the lieutenant lowered his gun. My name's Luis, by the way. I would shake your hand, but it's tied behind your back at the moment. How about you loosen up my cuffs and I'll, I'll show you what I can do with your hand. This one's cute. Where did Hector find him, Patel? We have nothing to say to you. Oh, really? Luis said, and shot DeAndre in the thigh. Andy! Patel said and leaned over to DeAndre. I'll kill you! Meathook lunged at Luis, but was hit across the face by one of his goons. <laughs> I might have hit a major artery, Luis said, but it won't take long for him to bleed out if I did. Now tell me why you are here. Gravity suits... John said, we need suits to help us perform in higher gravity worlds. <laughs> you mean like my body armor? Well, why didn't you say so? I'm sure I could have given you a few on loan. He shot DeAndre in the other leg. What the hell, man? We are talking. We are talking, John yelled. Then tell me why you are here. I'll shoot him in the head next. We are here to... John had to think of something fast and he blurted out, Kill your leader. Ah, Luis said and put the gun down. I knew it. Pay up, Francis. One of the guards dug into his wallet and started to count bills. John noticed the door opened to the store. However, there wasn't anyone entering. 
Luis was too busy gloating to notice. So one paltry station wasn't enough for Hector. No one can resist the power to rule, not even Hector. It's what humans have been doing throughout time in every universe. The ones with better technology conquers the ones that don't have it. Do you think the tuners are anything different? Hector materialized behind Luis, holding a weapon he had confiscated from one of the police soldiers and said, Yeah, I do. Hector knelt on the floor and raised the gun above his head. A shockwave blasted horizontally from the tip of the gun in every direction. It knocked everyone off their feet, including Luis, who barely had enough time to register what was going on. The blast went over all the tuners' heads. Ludi materialized next. He knelt down below the blast level so he wouldn't get caught in it. He went to work on DeAndre with equipment from his bag. John crawled over to the unconscious Luis and fished out the keys for his cuffs. He tossed the keys to Patel. When he was done, Hector freed Meathook. Hector, Meathook said. I thought you retired, bro. I decided to hitch a ride with Ludi here, Hector said. We would have been here earlier if we didn't have to tune to a mall across town, Ludi added. Enough talk, Hector said. Strip a few of their bodies so we can get the hell out of here. How are we going to get past the jammer? I don't think we have enough room in the invisibility backpacks for the armor, John said. My brother never thought it was prudent to leave guards by the jammer, Hector said as if on cue. There was an explosion in the distance and John's headphones came back to life. He could hear the sounds of other universes once again. All right, that was some tuners. Uh, it's getting exciting, I know. We're getting close to the end of tuners. All right, thank you for listening. And of course, if you are wanting to hear more shows, we got more shows for you. We got Real ghost stories from you, the listening audience. Mondays with Aaron Hunter. Real paranormal activity. We have me on Tuesdays, and then we have Terry's Mysterious Moments on Wednesdays with all sorts of cool historical strangeness. And then we have the Sandman's Lullaby on Thursdays, or whenever it comes to your podcast feed. They're all good shows, so uh, you should just listen to them all. So there you go. You got something almost every night of the week. And uh, get your spook on. All right. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.